morning, God's Word comes to us from Romans chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, you may turn there at this time. That is also printed in the worship folder this morning. We're going to be reading just the first four verses of Romans chapter 8. Romans 8, beginning in verse 1. What we hear now is God's Word. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Here we have the reading of God's holy word. There is also printed for you in the worship folder a Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 14. And this morning I'd like to read for you a question answer 35 and 36. Question 35, what does it mean that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary? And the answer given, that the eternal Son of God, who is and remains true and eternal God, took to himself, through the working of the Holy Spirit, from the flesh and blood of the Virgin Mary, a truly human nature, so that he might become David's true descendant in all things like us his brothers, except for sin. Question 36, how does the holy conception and birth of Christ benefit you? He is our mediator, and with his innocence and perfect holiness, he removes from God's sight my sin, mine, since I was conceived. Well, children, <clears throat> perhaps after singing, O come all ye faithful, and following the sermon, we're going to sing, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, uh, maybe you think I'm confused about what time of year it is. And perhaps I think it is near Christmas. Well, I can assure you, uh, I know it is not Christmas time. But these songs that talk about the coming of Jesus Christ into the world is what we're going to talk about this morning from Romans chapter 8 and from Lord's Day 14. We have been talking about the second person of the Trinity. We have talked about his name. He was called Jesus, meaning Savior, for he saves us from our sins. We have talked about Christ, his title, meaning anointed. He's our prophet and priest and king. We've talked about his relationships, his relationship to the Father, in which he is Son, his relationship to us, in which he is Lord. We've been talking about the person of Jesus Christ. And now we change our focus just a bit, not to talk about his person, who he was, 
but to talk about his work, what he came to do. And in that, we look at his light. When we think of the life of Jesus Christ, we can divide his life into two big pieces, we might say. Those two pieces of the life of Jesus Christ are his humiliation and his exaltation. His humiliation describes his life from the time he was conceived and born, the life that he lived, the suffering that he did, his crucifixion, his burial, and his descent into hell. And that portion of his life, of his work, is explained for us in Lord's Days 14, 15, and 16. We'll be looking at those in the next several weeks together. And then we get to the second big part of his life, his exaltation, beginning with his resurrection, his ascension, his rule, and the fact that he will come again, his second coming. Those described for us in Lord's Day 17, 18, and 19. These two big pieces of the life of Christ, his humiliation and his exaltation. And in both of these, we see that he came and he did what he did. He fulfilled the work God gave him to do for us. I love how the catechism always comes back to that question. How does this benefit you? Jesus Christ came for our benefit, for our blessing. So this morning we talk about his birth. Jesus born for sinners. Jesus born for us. When we think about his incarnation, we are certainly talking about something that is beyond us. We can never fully grasp or understand what that incarnation was all about. Our text says in verse 3, For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. In the incarnation, God sends his Son for sin. His eternal Son, his natural Son, he came and he took on flesh and blood. He became human. God became man. And that is one of the central truth, truths that separates Christianity from false religions. In false religions, we are given the hope that perhaps if we do enough things, if we live the right way, man could become God. The truth is exactly the opposite. Our hope, what we embrace, is not that we someday might become gods, but that God became man. He came down for us. He took to himself 
a truly human nature. That's our confession. That the eternal Son of God, who is and remains true and eternal God, took to himself a truly human nature. He remained God. He did not divest himself of his divinity. He did not lose his divinity in coming to earth. But Jesus Christ in his incarnation took on humanity. Probably one of the clearest texts that speaks about that to us is uh, Paul's letter to the Philippians chapter 2. We read there in verse 3, do nothing from selfish, selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He took to himself humanity, he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. This is, this is that mystery of the incarnation, that Jesus remaining true and eternal God takes to himself humanity. He gives up the glory of that inter-Trinitarian fellowship for all time, for all time, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit had experienced a beautiful inter-Trinitarian fellowship with each other. And Jesus leaves that, leaves the glory of heaven, and is willing to come down and be born. Now, for us, when we think about birth, and we hopefully have a few imminent births in our congregation in the next couple of months, when we think about birth, we think about life coming into the world. For Jesus, his birth was his entrance into death. He would live his life here on this earth. It was the beginning of his humiliation, which would end with his crucifixion, his death on the cross. For him, his birth was the beginning of his death. Being, being made frail like humanity and ultimately dying on the cross. We will never fully appreciate or understand the mystery of the incarnation. He came and he did truly become man. Didn't just seem like a man, he really was a man. Our confession says that the true, that the eternal Son of God took to himself through the working of the Holy Spirit from the flesh and blood of Mary a truly human nature. 
a truly human nature, so he might become David's true descendant. He took on real humanity that he might be the descendant of David. Remember David, kids? David, who was the shepherd boy. David, who cared for the flock. And yet David, who would be chosen by God himself to care for God's people. David, who would rise to the throne to become the best king over God's people. And we know that David ruled on behalf of God's people. And yet following David, the kings got worse and worse and worse. A few points of light along the way, but the kings got worse. God had promised there will always be a king on David's throne, a king to rule like David. And finally, finally, Jesus Christ arrives. He takes on humanity in the line of David to become David's true descendant. The true king, the perfect king. We talked about his kingship, oh, it's been a few weeks ago now, when we talked about his anointing as the king of his people. The one who guards us, the one who keeps us in the freedom he has won for us. That's what a king does. He protects his people. Jesus Christ comes, takes on humanity as David's true descendant. He was the one promised. The one promised already back in the Garden of Eden. When the enmity began between God and the devil, when that enmity manifested itself in Eden and the conflict went on, Jesus Christ was the one who was promised. A conflict that would rage throughout history between Cain and Abel. A conflict between Jacob and Esau. A conflict between Pharaoh and the children of Israel. A conflict between Herod when he tries to kill all the baby boys. Jesus Christ comes as the victor in the conflict. He defeats the devil. He has the victory. He is the king, David's descendant, the true king, who guards and keeps his people in the freedom that he has won for us. Victorious, glorious reigning king. He is made like his brothers. Our confession says he takes a truly human nature so he might become David's true descendant in all things like his brothers. Our text says he comes in the likeness of sinful flesh. Truly human. Like us. Like his brothers. In every way. He knew Hunger. He knew weakness. He knew sadness. He knew pain. He knew what it's like to lose a beloved friend. Jesus knew what pain felt like. And he went through all of this, becoming like his brothers, so that he might minister to us, that he might minister to us in our weakness, in our pain. He understands. He knows what we feel like. 
We can never say to God, Lord God, I'm going through this thing right now and it's hurtful and it's painful and you just don't understand. In Jesus Christ, God understands hurt. He understands pain. And so when we are hurting, we can turn to him. He knows what our hearts are like. He knows the hurts that lie, that lie there. He was like us in every way, truly human, to understand our weakness and our frailty. He, he understands our temptations. You know, it gets easy to um, focus so much on Christ's divinity, we forget about his humanity. But he knew temptation. He was tempted by the devil himself. And so we can never say to God, you don't understand what it's like to be tempted. Jesus knew temptation. He knows what we go through. He knows how difficult it is. Truly human, truly righteous, that he might be there for us to encourage us in times of temptation, to bring us through. God's glory and his praise. He was like us in every way, our confession says. And then that last line, except, except for sin. Like his brothers in every way, except for sin. And it's because of that glorious exception that Paul can begin chapter 8 in this way. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. He was like us in every way except for sin. How does the holy conception of birth of Christ benefit you? He is our mediator. And with his innocence and perfect holiness, he removes from God's sight my sin. He removes my sin from the sight of God. All of my sin, every thought, every word, every deed, everything I do removed because of Jesus Christ. He removes the sin that clings to me, those, those besetting sins. Those sins I don't want to return to, but I find my fallen nature returning to again. I confess them, and Jesus continues to remove them. The glorious exception, like us in every way except for sin. He was perfectly righteous. He did everything correctly. He obeyed his father perfectly. Verse 4, in order that he did all this, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. That's the fullness of our salvation. Not only does Jesus come and take away all of our sins, as wonderful as that is, knowing that all my sins have been taken away by his blood. Not only is that the case, but beyond that, 
Jesus' perfection, Jesus' obedience, Jesus' righteousness is credited to me. God doesn't see us now simply as those who are not sinners. He sees us as those who have been perfectly obedient. No cross words, no evil thoughts, no bad deeds. When he looks at us, he sees the perfection of Jesus Christ. This is what he came to do. Jesus Christ born for sinners. Not only to take away our sin, but to grant us his righteousness and perfection. There is now no condemnation. For he has perfectly fulfilled the law on our behalf. That which we could not do, he did perfectly. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This glorious truth, this wonderful blessing, is for those and for those only who are found in Christ Jesus. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. This glorious truth, this wonderful blessing is for everyone who is found in Christ. Who looks to him as their hope for salvation. If you are, if you are looking to the world, to yourself, as the hope of your salvation, if you are looking at, at the obedience you try to bring, even the very best we do is tainted with sin, now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. This is why he came. Jesus Christ, born for sinners. Jesus Christ, to forgive us for our sins. Jesus Christ, to give us his righteousness for all who are found in him. Was he born for you? Do you find your hope, your life, your assurance, not in yourself, but only in him? only in his finished work. If we are trying to offer something alongside what Christ has done, it is insufficient. Our only comfort in life and in death is that we belong to him. Embrace Jesus Christ alone as the only source of your hope, as the only source of your comfort, as the only savior from sin as the only one who could offer perfect righteousness on your behalf. And know the joy of these wonderful words. There is therefore now no condemnation. Because Jesus Christ came. Jesus Christ incarnate. Leaving the glories of the Trinity. Coming to earth. Dying on the cross that we might have life. Jesus Christ. Born for sinners. Let's join together in prayer. But our God,
great and glorious. How we praise you for your perfect plan of salvation. You did what we could not do. You required perfect righteousness. We offered our works as filthy rags. And so, Lord God, you sent your Son, Jesus Christ. We praise you for who he is, Jesus, our Savior, Christ, our prophet, priest, and king. We praise you for what he has done, taking on our flesh, becoming like us, that he might know us, that he might minister to us in all of our needs and fulfilling our greatest need, the need for a mediator, the need for a Savior from our sin. Oh, thank you, O oh God, for the finished work of your Son, Jesus Christ. May we never tire of glorying in what he has done and offering ourselves, O oh God, in thankful service unto you. Hear our prayer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.